2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, as we finish up our study of 2 Peter tonight. I'm going to read to you verses 10 through 18, and we'll start breaking it down. Peter goes on and says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Then, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Once again, as you can see, there's a lot to cover. But what we're going to start off with is, is verse 10. He says that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. And the, the heaven's going to disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now, we know the late day of the Lord is tied to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But is he referring to the rapture here when he's talking about the day of the Lord? And a lot of people have thought that he was because of the fact that it says he'll come it'll come like a thief. And I want to show you that scripturally tonight, I don't believe the Bible is talking about the rapture when it talks about the day of the Lord. Now, there is a possibility that the rapture is tied into the referring to the day of the Lord if and only if the rapture happens right at the very beginning of the tribulation period. Because I want to show you from scripture, and we're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight that deals with this, that the Bible's description of the day of the Lord is dealing with the actual second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth, which begins with the tribulation period and the wrath of God and culminates with his second coming and touching down on the earth and the millennial reign beginning and all that. But then there's the question then, okay, if the day of the Lord, as I'm going to show you, is tied more to the actual literal second coming of Jesus to the earth and not the rapture, why does the scripture say that that day will come like a thief? Because for years we've always said, well, the rapture will be a surprise. But man, the, the, the scripture tells us that there will be clear signs right up to the day of the Lord. There'll be so many days from this point and so many days from that point, And you'll have a sign here and a marker there. The question has always been, well, how could that day then come like a thief? And the Bible actually is going to answer that question tonight as well. So just stick with me for now, and let's take some time to do a study of what is this day of the Lord that Peter is talking about. Now again, let me read to you how he describes it, and you're going to see uh, a little bit more clearly that he's referring to the actual second coming of Jesus Christ. Again, look at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now look at verse, uh, the second part of verse 12. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. All right? So that's going to be very important to us. Now, the first time, as you do a study of the day of the Lord, and what does it mean, the first time you ever see the actual term, the day of the Lord, used in the Bible is in Amos chapter uh, 5. So go to Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20.
Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. I'm hearing people saying, where's Amos? <laughs> right before Obadiah, someone says, and that doesn't help a lot of people either. Okay, now where's Obadiah? You know, right over there by that other book that I don't know where it is. Okay, Amos chapter 5, look at verses 18 through 20. Have you found it? All right. <laughs> what, what page is it on? All right. <laughs> on mine, it's in page 1030. So, all right. Listen to what the scripture says. This is the first time we see the term the day of the Lord referenced in scripture. It says, woe to you who long, verse 18 of chapter 5 of Amos, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? Now you've got to understand something. The Jews thought the day of the Lord, because as you can see from this term, the, the, the writer here, Amos, prophet Amos, he's using the term day of the Lord like it was a very familiar term, correct? Just because it's the first time we read it here doesn't mean it's the first time they'd ever heard of it. But their picture of the day of the Lord was the time when in their minds God was going to come and he was going to elevate Israel as the chief nation among all the nations and he was going to set up his kingdom on the earth and they were going to be in charge. And they were looking forward to the day of the Lord. They thought that the day of the Lord was just going to be this awesome time where, well, right now, you know, we're having it kind of rough. But one day in the day of the Lord, when God comes and sets things up, we're, we're, the Messiah is going to show up and we're going to be set free and we're going to be in charge and we're going to rule and reign. A lot of terms you'll see in Scripture, they didn't understand that the day of the Lord was a day of judgment. Not only of the wicked nations in the world, but also them. Allison. Um, in Right, but the, their mindset was though that the day of the Lord was a good thing. Right, but and, in Second Peter, right, it references Lord a different, in a different. Agreed, but here in this passage, he even says, "You think the day of the Lord's going to be a good thing? Right. It's not. It's not, because the day of the Lord is referencing a time of judgment. All right, they didn't understand this was going to be a time of judgment of the wicked, including themselves. Go to Isaiah chapter two. Isaiah is a little easier to find because it covers a few more pages on your Bible. So as you do the quick flip spin looking for it, you'll find it easier. Isaiah chapter 2, look at verses 12 through 21. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 12 through 21. It says, The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan, for all the towering mountains and all the hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low and the pride of men humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day 
and the idols will totally disappear. Men will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from dread, from dread of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. In that day, men will throw away to the rodents and the bats their idols of silver and idols of gold, which they made to worship. They will flee to the caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from the dread of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Now, does that sound familiar? Those of you that were part of our Revelation study, go back with me to Revelation chapter 6. And you'll see that on the sixth seal in Revelation chapter 6, we see this described very clearly as a part of the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 6, look at verses 12 through 17. I watched as he opened, verse 12 of Revelation 6, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals, the rich and the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So here we can see again, it was not called literally the day of the Lord, but in the reference to what we see in Peter and what we see here in Revelation and what we see tied to Amos and here in Isaiah 2. There's a day that God has in store of judgment, and that's not going to be a fun day. It's a day in which he will come and shake the earth and judge all the wicked. And people are going to run and hide because of fear of God and hide in the rocks and the caves. And that doesn't sound like the rapture, does it? Doesn't sound like the rapture. But the day of the Lord's going to come like a thief. That has to be the rapture. Stick with me. I'll show you why it's not referring to the rapture. Now, as we saw last week, Jesus is referring in Matthew 24 to being ready for his coming at any moment. And that's referring to the rapture. We need to be ready for where he comes. And, and the church needs to be looking and watching, ready for the return of Jesus Christ. But when he comes for his bride, he's going to come and gather us and take us to be with him. When he comes in the second coming, is he coming to gather his bride or is he coming to bring judgment? He's coming to bring serious judgment and to set up the millennial kingdom. Go to Joel chapter 2. I should have told you to do that while you were in Amos area, but I want you to go have some fun again. Go to Joel chapter 2 and look at verses 1, 1 through 11. If you found Amos, you can find Joel. Joel chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 11. Listen closely. Again, I'm just reading this just for more Old Testament prophecy that's been, that talks about the day of the Lord that's coming. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes, before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them a desert waste, nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses, they gallop along like cavalry, with a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. 
At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses they, like thieves. They enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The sky trembles. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the star stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Once again, we see a very clear picture in the Old Testament that the day of the Lord is a day of judgment, a day of darkness and blackness, a day of time that you don't want to be a part of it. Go to Zephaniah. Turn right in your, where you are in Joel. Go to Zephaniah. Jim, yes, ma'am. The next three or two verses, it talks about the judgment he says, but return, to me. return to me. Yes. And you can have salvation. Exactly. And you can avoid this. And we're going to get to that in a second because we'll be back in Joel. So put a bookmark if you want to help find Joel. Again, we'll be back in Joel. But go to Zephaniah chapter 1. And look at verses 14 through 18. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 14 says, The great day of the Lord is near. Near and coming quickly. Listen, the cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter. The shouting of the warrior there, that day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I will bring distress on the people and they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like filth. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed, for he'll make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. Sure doesn't sound like the rapture, does it? So when someone says the day of the Lord will come like a thief, they're not talking about the, the rapture. But again, we get that question. Well, wait a minute. If the prophecies say what it's going to be like, and as you know from our study of the book of Revelation in the tribulation period, there are so many days until the Antichrist steps into the temple, and the tribulation period will last seven years, and at a midway point he'll step into the temple, and then there's so many days until the return of Jesus. How come that'll surprise them? How come it'll come like a thief? Well, stick with me. We're going to answer that question, but I want to keep showing you that the day of the Lord is talking about the return of Jesus to come in judgment on the, on the earth. No one's heard any description of the rapture yet, have you? Go ahead. That, that's after the thousand years? No. This is prior to the thousand years of Jesus' millennial kingdom. The thousand years will be a time of peace and safety and to be a time of, 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 of actually where Jesus is in control. And for the most part, the world is in, not in rebellion. Go to Zechariah, though. You're in Zephaniah. Just turn over to Zechariah. you got to just go a couple of books to the right. Zechariah, look at chapter 14, verses 1 through 21. Now, as we read this, you've got to be careful. If you try to read this chronologically, it's going to mess you up. Remember, this is prophecy. And as you read prophecy, you have to be paying attention. Let the Spirit kind of give you a little bit of insight. Because sometimes it'll be talking about something future. And then it'll be talking about something sooner. But sometimes it listed the future thing before the sooner thing. And you have to be listening. All right, so listen to chapter 14, verse 1. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. 
Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from the east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. On that day there will be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord when evening comes there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea, in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and His name the only name. The whole land from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem, will become like the Arabah. But Jerusalem will be raised up and remain in its place. From Benjamin, the Benjamin gate to the side of the first gate to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the royal winepress, it will be inhabited. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secure. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will seize the hand of another, and they will attack each other. Uh, Judah, too, will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected. Great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and mules, the camels and donkeys, and all the animals in those camps. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles. If any of the people of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots. And the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty. And all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day, there'll be no longer a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. Now, we have to be honest. As you look at this and you'll say, okay, I've had 13 questions jump through my head as we read through here. Part of that is, is like I said, here it talks about Jesus, the day when he's going to bring all the nations of the world to fight against Jerusalem. And we know that that's tied to the Battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation period when they're all going to gather against him. Because remember, prior to that, the Antichrist is going to sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. And they're going to live in somewhat peace and safety for about three and a half years. But then he's going to show his true colors, step into the temple, declare himself to be God. And all the nations are going to gather against to fight. And God is going to wipe them out. And he's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split. And the Bible says a river is going to flow and it's going to flow from the from the temple as well. And the Dead Sea will become clear again. There's all these prophecies that go together. Yet in the middle of this, it says it shows them running through a valley to go hide. Well, they're not going to run to go hide after Jesus comes back because they've got to be in Basra when he shows up at Basra to reveal himself to the nation of Israel. And all these things. So as you try to read it chronologically, it messes you up. And then it also talks about people that are alive are going to be coming to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. They're going to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord himself, who's going to be there. Yet prior to that, we just saw in Zephaniah that he's going to destroy all the people on the earth. Well, how in the world are there going to be people on the earth if all the people on the earth are destroyed? 
Any ideas? We're coming back. Well, yes and no. We're going to be a part of that. We're going to be coming back. We're going to come, the Holy One's with him. We're, we're going to come with him. But actually, when he brings destruction, it's on all the wicked. But there are going to be, during that time of tribulation, those who turn to him in faith, who survive that time period. They'll be few in number. And it will be very hard for them at that time. But there will be those who turn to God in faith, who don't die during the tribulation period. Most of them will be put to death by the Antichrist and his forces, if you will. Remember, you won't be able to buy or sell unless you receive the mark and all that kind of stuff. But there will actually be humans that live through the tribulation period, but they're only there because of their righteousness. Remember at the end when Jesus comes, Matthew 25, he'll come to set up his kingdom and he's going to judge the nations. And he'll say to those who are how they treated Israel, who did this to the least of these, my brethren. You gave them water, food, cold drink, you know, food, clothing, visit them in prison. When you've done it to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it to me, come, here's your reward. Those who do it weren't, they're going to be sent off to judgment. So when he comes, he's bringing destruction. Yet at the same time, there will be humans that survive to live through the millennial kingdom. We're going to come with him and rule and reign over that. And during that time period, during that thousand year period, many babies will be born. Because by the end of that thousand year period, Satan comes and he's released from the pit and he tempts those who have come during that time. You know, born during the millennial kingdom and all. And there's, let's be honest, there's a whole lot still that we don't fully understand. Amen. I mean, there are those who can try to put it all together and we might think we have it figured out, but we really don't. But this much we do know, the day of the Lord very clearly is a day of judgment when he comes to judge the earth. He's not referring to the rapture when he talks about the day of the Lord. Like I said, the only way that the day of the Lord could be tied to, sorry, the rapture could be tied to the day of the Lord is if the rapture happens right at the very beginning of the tribulation period. But there is a strong chance that the rapture happens and there'll be a time period between the rapture and the actual start of the last seven year period for the nation of Israel. God can do it however he wants. Chris has a question and then we'll get to you. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just trying to reconcile Right. It's in all the earth, all you have. And that, and that's because. Is there a kingdom to? I mean, obviously you right. can will it to be renewed, right? Well, the, the earth is going to be renewed at the end of this period, because as you see in Peter, in a lot of places, he's going to destroy the whole earth with fire. Yeah, in that time, it's going to be a judgment. Right. Now, part of that is, is take it. You go to Matthew, like you say, to Matthew twenty-five, and the sheep and the goats parable. And, and it's not just a parable, but actually a literal description of what's going to happen. You can see there at that point, there's going to be a judging of the nations during that time period. Some will make it into kingdom because of their righteousness and their faith. Others won't be. So when it talks about an end, it's simply meaning all the wicked are totally, there's no more, the wicked are done at that time period. And that's, and that's what it's talking about. No, this is prior to the millennial kingdom. Well, that's the part I guess I'm having trouble with. Mm -hmm. The wording there, obviously the wicked are done. Right. But the wording Right. Well, we do know at the very end of the millennial kingdom, the scripture shows that he's going to totally make a whole new heaven and a new earth. And there's a chance Zephaniah is referring to that. That's what I wonder. It's a possibility. Let's be honest. Prophecy is not something that you can say, I know what this means. It's to put it in your heart. And so exactly when it happens, if it's in your heart, you'll understand it. Like I say, I lean toward right now that Zephaniah passage is talking more about the day of the Lord, though, the time of the judgment. But again, how do we know? Becky, and then we'll get to you. It's the tribulation. 
the tribulation period is a major part of it. But the day of the Lord is the time of God's judgment and his wrath. So it's going to happen definitely during that time period. I believe God's wrath happens during the whole seven-year period. There are some that think that the wrath doesn't begin until the midpoint. That's the mid-tribulationist and all that. I believe his wrath actually occurs during the first part as you look at the seals that are happening and all. But I'm equating it with that whole time period. But you can't just say as soon as the tribulation period finishes because there's a judgment of the nations as well and all that kind of stuff. It is not one day. It's a time period. It's talking about the time period of God's wrath and judgment. Duke, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say oh. before that, it was uh, that the uh, scripture that you read is topical, not chronological. Right. It's topical. This is definitely not chronological as you take a look at all this. Because in here you see prophecies about the millennial kingdom and all that kind of stuff. It's all mixed together. That's why you got to be real careful when you read prophecy to make sure the Spirit's kind of giving you insight. Because you also just can't read one prophecy and try to build your theology from one prophecy. You've got to put it together with this one and that one and this one and that one. Because you get a little glimpse here and a little glimpse there. Let's be honest. If it wasn't for Revelation chapter 20, we wouldn't even know that the millennium is the millennium. We call it the thousand year reign of Christ. But that's only because in Revelation we finally see that that time period of the kingdom when Jesus comes and rules and reigns lasts a thousand years. It says it six times in that short period there in chapter 20. But we wouldn't have known that if it wasn't for Revelation. So here we are talking about a millennial kingdom that we wouldn't even have understood until we put all this stuff together and Revelation tied in. So don't build your theology or let anybody build their theology on one prophecy. It's got to be in agreement with the rest of the prophecies. Go ahead. Since we cannot know crystally clear, maybe God, he's going to be a bit flexible. Maybe he wants to do <laughs> well, what he wants to do. Well, he's not flexible. It's already determined I in that sense. in time. Oh, it be pre or mid or post. He may be like, okay, since we don't really understand, he can do it what he wants to. Well, I, God's going to do it however he wants to. But I, but I won't say about God that he's flexible in the sense that I don't know if I'm going to do it pre, mid, or... Oh, it's already okay. determined. Oh, good. It is already... It, but we can't know for sure. We won't know until it happens. We can, we can speculate. We, and that's why we need to be real careful that we don't set ourselves up in our camps and divide ourselves among the brethren over these issues that we don't fully understand. That's why it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but just must gently instruct. We're not to sit there and set up and, oh, I think it's this or I think it's that, and we get into disagreements and I'm not going to associate with you because you don't believe in the pre-tribulational rapture. Or I don't associate with you because you don't see salvation working as I see it and all this kind of stuff. We have to be real careful and say, Lord, this much we do know, the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. Right? Go ahead. Um, just to say that it's interesting to me that we learn so much about the past to get to know the Lord now in personally that we need to study but it's also interesting that we study the future, and yet we're not even going to be a part of some parts of it. Some parts of some it, and yet he still wants to give us that, you know, to glean some. Uh, knowledge from the and there's lots of reasons for that that's one of them part of the reason why god gives us prophecies as it says in the book of isaiah and other places that's his way of showing that he's god he says who else can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow go ahead and ask your idol it ain't going to tell you and he says one of the ways you'll know that i am the real true god is i'm able to say this is what's going to happen Oh, Abraham, your descendants are going to go into slavery. And after 400 years of slavery, they're going to come out with great wealth. And oh, and by the way, that happened. How did God know? Because he's God. 
and he's outside of time. So one of the reasons that he gives us these future prophecies is so that he will be glorified when it does happen. We'll say, oh, I guess he was right. You know, he, he knows. And that's why we got to be real careful, because remember, back prior to Jesus being born, the prophecies about the Messiah said that he was going to be a uh, sorry, that he was going to be uh, come out of Bethlehem, be born in Bethlehem, but he's going to come out of Egypt. How is that possible? And I'm sure people sat in their groups and set up their different camps on how they had it all figured out. But it isn't until after it happens that we realize that he actually was from Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem, but he came out of Egypt. Oh, that makes a ton of sense now afterwards, doesn't it? But prior, we would all sat here saying, well, I think it's this or I think it's that. We don't know. And that's why I want you to understand. Be real careful when you're dealing with prophecy that you don't think, oh, I've got it all figured out. we got some things that make sense, and I'll share with you what I think they're showing and how they go together. But ultimately, let's stick with what we do know. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment and of fire, and it's on destruction. You're going to say something. I just wanted to get it straight that there is one um, time when the Lord comes, and that's the day of judgment. Well, what, there's... there's he doesn't come and leave and come back again. Uh, he won't come and step foot on the earth and then leave and come back again. But as, as you're going to see, and we're going to talk about that a little bit as well, make sure we don't run out of time here. The return of Christ has two parts. Remember, the coming of Christ had two parts. The Jews didn't understand that. They knew the prophecy said the Messiah would come. But they didn't know that the coming to set up his kingdom was after the coming prior to be the one who died for the sins of the world and the suffering servant. So they missed his first coming because they didn't know that his coming had two parts. And so in his first, in his coming, it had two parts. I believe the Bible teaches that his second coming has two parts. One, when he comes in the clouds, he doesn't touch foot on the earth and he raptures his bride and he takes them to be with him. He doesn't come to the earth. It's just those who are raptured are going to, and those who have already come in with him, their bodies are going to come up out of the ground. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And then we'll be with him for whatever time period that is on the earth. And then at the end of the tribulation period, we come with him and he, when he comes to judge the earth and to set up his kingdom. So is he coming back to the earth only once? Yes, if, if it means literally stepping on the earth. I believe the Bible shows that he's going to come gather his church first. Remember, 77s are decreed for Israel and for the city of Jerusalem. The church isn't tied into that. We've been trying to read the church into a lot of these prophecies. But let me go, as, as uh, Susan shared just a little bit ago, there's still hope in all these judgment prophecies here. Go to Joel chapter 2, real quick. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And this is a passage that Peter actually referenced when he preached at Pentecost. He said, and afterward I will pour out my spirit, Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon turned to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Did you catch that? When is the moon going to turn to blood and the sun to darkness and all that kind of stuff? That's happening during the tribulation period. And that's why you have to realize the day of the Lord is kind of culminating in all that time period, but ultimately happens on the day that Jesus shows up and brings his final judgment. But he's judging him prior to that. But it's all tied together. But we have been trying to read the rapture into it because it's going to come like a thief, the, the scriptures say. And we say, well, that can't be a surprise. So the day that is like a thief must be the rapture. 
I'm going to show you that's not the case. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, this will be a very, very important passage for us for the rest of the study tonight as well. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now look closely at how Paul words this in verse 1. He says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, I believe they're two separate things, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. See, they're talking about the day of the Lord saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. Some of your translations say apostasy. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now again, we see that the Antichrist is going to reveal himself by stepping into the temple prior to the ultimate day of the Lord. Correct? Yes. So, don't anybody say the day of the Lord's already come, because we haven't seen this happen yet. And that's what he's saying. Now, let me just throw a little curveball at some of you, and I'm just going to throw this out. There are some scholars, Bible scholars, and Greek scholars, and theologians, who think that that word that is translated rebellion, or translated apostasy, actually could be translated departure. There are some, and I don't know which way I lean just yet, but those who have done this study have a pretty good argument. There's a chance that this verse actually could be talking about the rapture. Let me read it to you and change the word from apostasy or rebellion or falling away to a departure or a taking away, which is actually how the word actually could be translated. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the departure occurs, could be the rapture, occurs, and the man of lawlessness is then revealed. The man due to destruction, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And now we have already been talking about this before. If you heard me teach on this, I believe the Bible teaches that the one who's restraining the man of lawlessness from being revealed is the Holy Spirit's action through the church. It's not the removal of the Holy Spirit from the earth, because if that were the case, no one would be saved during the tribulation period. Because without the Spirit drawing them, without the Spirit giving them insight, they can't be saved. So the Spirit will be in some form on the earth during the tribulation. But I believe the Bible has been clearly saying that the church, the bride of Christ, is the salt of the earth that slows the decay, the light of the world. When the salt is removed, even though wickedness is increasing, Christianity is holding it back a little bit. Let's be honest. Even in the smallest sense, 
with all that's going on, that whole Chick-fil-A nonsense and what's going on with the government saying, well, if that's how Chick-fil-A owners feel, they won't be legal in our, our city or whatever. But you know what? Just recently, some Christians have risen up in the city of Chicago and some preachers have gotten together and they've said, look, slow down there. You know, you can't act like that. And even in a small sense, we're slowing the process. It doesn't mean it's going to stop. Salt slows the decay. It doesn't make the decay go away. But I believe the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit's action through the church, when the church is removed, there's a chance this word could be translated instead of the apostasy of the rebellion, could be translated the departure, the taking away. Don't know if it were. If it is the truth and how it should be translated, probably one of the most provable passages of the pre-tribulational rapture. But then look at what he says. Verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Did you catch something there? There's an answer to our question right here in this passage. You know what happens? The Bible says that after the rapture of the church, men of lawlessness will be revealed. He's going to set himself up to be king and God. And Jesus is going to come and destroy him. Well, how come so many people fall prey to his lies? The scripture says that these people that are left on the earth after the rapture are going to be sent what? A powerful delusion. You, you do understand that the only way you can trust Jesus as your Savior is if God gives you that insight. And if God says no more opportunities for you, guess what? You will never believe and I believe the Bible teaches that after the rapture of the church, they'll come up with some kind of a lie that explains why we've all disappeared. And they'll all be happy. It could be Martians. It could be, there's a whole lot of stuff that's possibilities out there. But guess what? The world that is left behind after that will be fed a powerful delusion. And it doesn't matter how much prophecy there is. They ain't going to be reading it. See, the Left Behind series has hurt us this way a little bit. See, the Left Behind series has people all of a sudden going, Oh, I've missed the rapture, and now I want to get ready. There's a strong chance that that won't happen. The Bible doesn't really show us that people after the rapture of the church will all of a sudden want to be looking and ready for God. There are some, I'm not one of them, there are some preachers that believe, and I would name their names and you've known them, they're actually very well known in this country. There are some preachers that think this verse says that anybody who's had an opportunity to be saved that is alive after the rapture can't, won't be saved after the rapture. They would actually disagree with Tim LaHaye's trend, uh, interpretation in his books where people can be saved after the rapture. I'm not going that far, but there are those, and they are well-known preachers who think that this verse says that after the rapture, if you've heard the gospel and you had your chance, you'll be sent a strong delusion and you can't be saved. But we do know, and I'll get right to you, Susan, we do know this much. The scripture says that after the removal of the bride, during that time period, the world as a whole will be fed a strong and powerful delusion and they'll believe lies 
they won't be looking for the coming of the Lord. And that day will overtake them like a thief. See, we look at it with our scriptural knowledge and our study of the scriptures and our watching and being ready. And we say, how could that day become like a thief? That must be the rapture. No, the day of the Lord is not the rapture. The day of the Lord is, and I'll show you in a little, little bit why I can prove that even more. There's a difference between the day of the Lord and the day of Christ. Susan, you had your hand up. Um, Jerusalem will never be ultimately obliterated because God will defend them and he will ultimately set up his kingdom there. Will they be destroyed prior to the end end? I don't know. Personally, this is my, my understanding of scripture. I think they'll be attacked. I think that we'll see massive upheaval in the city. I don't think ultimately they'll totally be taken over. I think that we're in that last time period when he has gathered the nation of Israel back into the land and he will ultimately finish what he started with the nation of Israel. Will they have it easy between now and then? No. And I think there's going to be a lot of, lot, of, lot of heartache. But ultimately, I don't think Israel, this is me personally, ultimately I don't think Israel will be totally removed from the land ever again. Isn't uh, <clears throat> the war of Gog and Magog when they attack, when the armies attack Jerusalem? And there's, there's a great earthquake. That's probably where the... Uh, that might be where that where valley is split and they get yeah, to run. They get to run but it all depends on when you put the battle of Gog and Magog. Some people put it at the beginning prior to the tribulation or at the beginning of the tribulation. Some people put it in the middle. Some people put it at the end. It all depends on when you put the battle of Gog and Magog as well. Yeah, I, I don't think you can put it at the end. Like I say, some people do. I, I don't even know. I'll be honest with you. I have ideas. I don't know when the battle is actually going to happen. There's a lot of things that parallel between the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39 with the scripture teaching in Revelation about the end of the battle of Armageddon. There's so many similarities there that make you go, I wonder if they're talking about the same. We just don't know. Uh, I, you know, I, I, mm -hmm. I talked with Tony and discussed it with Tony. And, yeah. uh, he sees it at the end. but He, he sees them as the same. Mm-hmm. And... Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of lean toward uh, Heinzen's, you know. At the Battle of Gog and Magog, God puts a hook in uh, Gog's mouth and pulls him in to attack Israel. Israel. Mm -hmm. in, in Armageddon, the Antichrist right. takes the armies that to the go against. and goes against Israel. Right. And again, so. th that's, they could be one and the same. We don't know. We just don't know. So that's what the whole thing about prophecy is. Man, get it in your heart, know what it is. And when it happens, we'll say, ah, that's how it happens. We've got to keep moving. But go ahead, Susan. How do you reconcile the thief in the night? They won't be looking for this when they will have lived through the scrolls and the trumpets and the all the, the strong delusion means they're oblivious to it. It's still happening, and they'll know they're something's happening. They're going to reason it away. They're going to, or they're, even if, but even if, as you remember back in Revelation, they still would not repent. It didn't matter what God did in the judgment. They still wouldn't repent. Aren't 
There will be some that will. Right. But, the, but as a whole, the world, it'll catch them by surprise. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look what Paul says here. In chapter 5, starting in verse 1. He's just finished in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, talking about the rapture. And remember, that's the part. Let me, let me just go to chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And the read to you when he talks about the rapture here. He says, the Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Those, in other words, those who have died in, in Christ, they're already with Him, and they're going to come with Him at the time of the rapture. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are alive, are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. That's where we get the word rapture, raptizo in, in the Latin. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. He's not on the earth. We meet him in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now look what he says next. Now, brothers, about the times and the dates, we don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord, that's a separate issue, will come like a thief in the night. Well, people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on who? Them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, meaning alive or our bodies are already in the grave, and we're with him. We may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you, in fact, you were doing. If you look closely, he says, look, the day of the Lord's a day of what? Darkness. We're not to be worried about the time of darkness. We're people of the light. We don't even need to write to you about times and dates. Because you know the day of the Lord's going to come on them as a surprise, as a thief in the night. But not us. There's a difference between us. I just talked to you about the fact that at some point prior to this, he's going to come in the clouds and take us to be with him. And that day of the Lord time period is a day of judgment. We have been spared that because of Jesus Christ. He hasn't appointed us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. So the day of the Lord is the return of Christ when he comes in judgment. You don't got to worry about that. That's a separate issue. That's for the world, and it's not for us. Isn't that a wonderful, awesome thing? Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. But now let me show you real quick in the time we have left. They also, there's throughout the scripture, the term the day of Christ. And that is different from the day of the Lord. The day of Christ, I believe, is pointing to the rapture and the time of the judgment seat of Christ. Real quick, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 8. Actually, we'll start in verse 7. 
Therefore, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? That's different from the day of the Lord. The day of Christ is different. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 5. In verse 5, he says, uh, Hand this man over to Satan so that the, the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of, and some translations say Christ, some of them say day of the Lord. It should say day of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 5, 5. If, it, if your translation says day of the Lord, it's not a great translation. It should say day of Christ. There you go. Lord Jesus will work. Go to, well, we don't need to go there. You know Philippians 1.6. Being confident in this very thing, that he who began this good work in you will what? Finish it until when? The day of Jesus Christ, or the coming of Jesus Christ. Verse, go to Philippians, though, and look at verse 10 of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. You'll see the term the day of Christ through the New Testament. That is, as you can see in the context, pointing to the time when Jesus comes for his bride, when he comes for Christians and he takes us to be with him. We're then going to go experience the judgment seat of Christ. Will he reward us for our faithfulness, whether what we've done in the body, whether good or worthless. And then we'll determine our standing for eternity in the millennial kingdom and heaven and all that. But the day of Christ is not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a time of darkness and judgment. And that's going to catch the world like a thief because they ain't going to be looking for it because they're going to be given a strong delusion. They're not going to be reading their scriptures to be be ready for the return of Jesus. But those of us who know the scriptures, who know Jesus, who have got his spirit within us, we're told to be watching, be ready, be looking. And we're watching for what? The glorious appearing of Jesus when he comes in the clouds to take us to be with him. We're not to be fearing the day of the judgment when the Antichrist be revealed. So Christians, please don't waste your time sitting around trying to figure out who the Antichrist will be. The Bible says he won't be revealed until after we've been taken out of the way. So it's a waste of your time. It won't do you any good. It'll make your neighbors mad. Because they're going to think, well, how dare you? You know, I like that man. I voted for him. We don't know that he's the, we don't, we don't think he's the Antichrist anyway. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't think he's the Antichrist. We shouldn't even be messing with it. It ain't an art decision. And for too long, Christians have tried to figure it out. Well, maybe it's Mussolini or maybe it's Napoleon because that rhymed with Apollyon, you know, when it talked about, you know, it, it. For years, people actually thought it was Reagan because Ronald Reagan's name added up to 666. You don't know. Stop. We don't know what 666 means. We don't want to know. We don't want to know. Exactly. If you know, I feel sorry for you. That means you'll be here when he's revealed. He's not been revealed. He could be alive. Is he? I don't know. But I'm not watching for the day of the Lord. I'm watching for the day of Christ. And listen to what Peter says. We've got to finish our study or else y'all are going to have to come back in August when I'm not here. But <laughs> Peter, go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
Because the world's not looking for it. Do you understand? We've been trying to read the rapture into this because of the surprise aspect. It's not tied to the rapture. We're going to be gone. And the world will have had a strong delusion, so they're, they're going to be totally caught off guard. They're going to be saying peace and safety. Finally, all those troublemakers are gone. Now we can have the world like we want it. And we're going to be okay. We're all right. Man's good in himself anyway. There's nothing really wrong with us. We're going to be all right. you know. And they're going to think they're fine. And judgment is going to come. Listen to what he says, though. It's going to come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Now, I don't have time to turn there. I want to so bad. But what I want you to see is this. He is saying this because of the fact that we know God, just like he destroyed the whole earth in a flood, as we already saw earlier, and he's going to destroy the whole earth again in fire. We shouldn't be living for here. Some of you are spending too much time trying to make your house just right. <laughs> Guess what's going to happen to it if the termites don't get to you first? It's going to be destroyed. Some of you are all worried about whether or not you get a scratch on your car. Guess what? It ain't going to last. If Jesus tarries, rust is going to win here on the beach. Ultimately, we should not be living for this world. And if you go, and I want you to write these down. Please write these down. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. That's Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. And Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. All right, that's Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, 13 through 16, 24 through 26. The men and women of faith listed in Hebrews 11 didn't live for this world. They lived for the one to come. And you know what's the hardest thing? And the thing that's kind of grieving me a little bit as I travel is how many Christians today have fallen into the false mentality of living for comfort here. Jim, why would you leave a good, comfortable situation in a church where people love you? God's much better. Yeah, <laughs> because God said, and you know what? I found that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I'm happier now than I ever was. But it doesn't make sense to people because they think we should be comfortable. We should be seek the people in Hebrews 11. I want you to go and look at those and let God speak to your heart. They weren't living for a country of their own. They were looking for the one God had. They were willing to be ridiculed. They were willing to be misunderstood. They were willing to be put to death because they weren't living for here. If God's going to destroy all this, this should not be our main focus. This should not be our main focus. I remember a story about this one missionary who, a man from America went to visit this missionary and, and uh, the, the, the man from America went into his home and, and all he had was a chair and a table and a bed. And the man from America said, where's all your stuff? He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, you live here, and this is all you, this is all you have? And the guy says to the guy from America, the missionary says to the guy from America, well, I only see a suitcase with you. Where's all your stuff? And he goes, well, this isn't my home. I live back, and the, guy, the missionary says, this isn't my home either. I don't live here. I live there. So, folks, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a car and you shouldn't wax it. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a house and keep it clean. I'm just saying... Don't get caught up in this world. 
It's going to be destroyed. And the world and its mentality and its thought philosophy is going to get you to focus on here. Living for here and now. Watch out for that. Watch out for that. Peter then also says that Paul's writing is scripture. I'm sure Paul felt really good about that. But he actually, if you look closely, you'll see that he called Paul's writings scripture. There are some that want to kind of chuck some things Paul says. But Peter actually says that Paul's writing is a part of scripture. So keep that in mind. I want to wrap up with what he says here, though, at 2 Peter chapter, two, or so chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard, so that you will not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. How can you fall from a secure position? Well, for the sake of time, we don't have time to turn there, but if you looked at Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, when Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus, He says, I know your deeds. Man, you're working real hard. You're doing a lot of cool stuff. But you've, what? Forsaken your first love. And then He says this, Repent. Realize the height from which you've fallen. Did He say they lost their salvation? No. He said they got derailed. Kind of picture your, I always try to picture a guy who's cleaning one of those skyscrapers. You know, the guys that are out there on the window things. They go up and down the building on that little uh, platform. And they have also got, because of OSHA, a safety harness, correct? Can they fall? Yes. Will they hit the ground? No. Will it be fun? No. Not unless it's a bungee cord. But it is possible for you as Christians, you're not going to lose your salvation, but it's possible for you to fall. It's powerful for you to stumble. It's far possible for you to get derailed. Peter says, don't get derailed. You're not going to lose your salvation. But boy, it's not a lot of fun to hang upside down for a while until it gets fixed. Correct? You ask whoever's fallen off one of those things. Thank God for the bungee cord or the safety rope. But that didn't mean it was fun. And that's why he says, you don't lose your salvation when you fall, but you miss out on rewards and blessings available to those who continue to grow in their salvation. And folks, that goes right back to where we spent all of our time at the beginning of this study. In 2 Peter chapter 1, listen, to, I'm just going to read it to you, verses 3 through 11. I don't want you to start getting the shakes again that we're going to go through it again, but listen. <laughs> His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. Who has called us by his own glory and goodness and through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ but if anyone doesn't have them he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's already been for cleansed from his past sins therefore my brothers be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure for if you do these things you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If Peter were here, he would say to you, you've got everything you need. Watch out for the false teachers who are going to try to derail you. 
Stay focused on the Lord and not on this world. Finish strong. You know, the Olympics are going on right now, and I love watching the Summer Olympics. I, they're just some of the more, more of the events that are interest to me than the Winter Olympics, you know. I've never really gotten in, into that curling. It's kind of a form of shuffleboard or whatever it is, but there's a lot of sports I like in the Summer Olympics, but one of the things I like is watching track and field. But you know what? If a runner has spent his whole life training, preparing, but then stumbles at the finish line, what will we remember? Oh, he'll get up and finish, but he'll remember it for the stumble. Don't do that to yourself. The good news is, is God sees the whole race. He don't focus on the stumble, but the world does. So my encouragement to you is in these last days and weeks and years that we have left, and we don't know how long that is, finish strong. Don't stumble. Oh, there are traps out there. And as we looked at last week, the world, the devil, and your flesh are going to be pulling you away and try to cause you to stumble. Stay focused. Stay focused. And I look forward to being back together in September when we know what God has for us to study. Father, I again thank you for this chance. Lord, we just, man, we wanted to stay in here and spend another hour or two, but if, you, you just, you've given us a lot to chew on right now. Father, I praise you for the fact that you have a reason why you haven't fully revealed how it's all going to play out. Part of it could be that there's a chance for us to show our trust in you by not arguing over things that we might not see the same as our brothers and sisters. A chance to give glory to you in these areas that are disputable. But Lord, at the same time, you've given us enough to know that there's a difference between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. Lord, you want us to be focused on the day of Christ when he comes. And he raptures and he gathers us and he judges us according to what you're going to reward us for and with for eternity. And Lord, we pray for the world. The reason you haven't come back in the day the Lord hasn't happened yet is because it means salvation as we saw tonight in our passage. So Lord, may we just thank you for your mercy. Pray for those who don't know you yet. Lord, we also thank you for the fact that you have already promised through Jesus Christ that we already have everything we need. Now may we daily allow you to give us the focus and that we won't be derailed or stumble or fall and we thank you for this secure position we have in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.